From VOA Learning English, this is the Technology Report. Ransomware is on the rise. That is a term for a type of software that locks up files or access to a computer until money is paid. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, says ransomware is spreading in the U.S. Two of the biggest ransomware programs are CryptoLocker and CryptoWall. The two computer programs are thought to have taken millions of dollars from people. The internet security company WebSense says it has found about two million cases of CryptoLocker. More than 60% of the cases were in Australia. Symantec is another internet security company. It says a newer ransomware program is quickly spreading around the world. It fools people with information on the popular television series Breaking Bad. It secretly searches for some kinds of files in computers and encrypts them. That means it changes information from one form to another to hide it. Computer users then need a specific key to open their files. Users are told their files will remain unavailable unless the user pays for the decryption key. Usually, it costs $300 to $600 to get the key. John Shire is a security expert at Sophos. He says ransomware looks for user-generated content, Word documents, spreadsheets, or pictures. But ransomware targets all types of computer systems, personal, business, and government. Little can be done once a device has been infected. John Shire says to make many copies of your files and save them in different locations. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Science Report. A new study says a widely used insecticide is damaging wild bee populations. Wild bees are important because they pollinate crops and wild plants. Environmentalists in the United States and Europe say chemicals called neonicotinoids are causing a drop in the number of bees. These insecticides are among the most commonly used worldwide for killing insects that eat crops. Farmers often use seeds treated with the insecticides. They get into pollen and nectar, which is where the bees come into contact with them. May Rundloff is the researcher at Lund University in Sweden who led the study. Her team studied bees in fields. Half of the fields were grown from seeds treated with neonicotinoids. The other half was grown with untreated seeds. Ms. Rundloff spoke about the study in a video for the journal Nature. She said they found that the bumblebee colonies almost did not grow at all in the treated areas. She says there were about half as many wild bees in treated fields as in untreated ones. Dennis Van Engelsdorp is a scientist who studies insects at the University of Maryland. He was not involved with the research, but he said that banning the chemicals might force farmers to use products that may be either just as bad or worse. He said farmers often use the chemicals too much and that may be hurting bees. Mr. Van Engelsdorp said the chemicals should be used only when necessary. A United States Department of Agriculture report included information about the effects of neonicotinoids. It said the chemicals make the bees sick, so they cannot fight the viruses that commonly affect them. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA, Learning English, this is the Health Report. Meningitis is spreading across West Africa. The brain disease is a threat every year across 21 African countries. Now, scientists have found they can predict and prepare for this and other diseases by using information from satellites. Every year, dust storms blow across the Sahel area of Africa, and meningitis crosses the area after the storms. Tens of thousands of people there get the disease each year. About 10% of them die from the disease. Another 10 to 20 percent suffer permanent brain or nerve damage. Carlos Perez Garcia Pandu is an atmospheric scientist with the American Space Agency, NASA. Mr. Garcia Pandu says scientists do not know why meningitis follows the seasonal dust storms. But he and his team watched the dust storms from the satellites. Then, by also using other pieces of information, the researchers found they could predict how bad the next meningitis season would be. Nita Barty is with Penn State University. She predicts the spread of measles by watching city lights grow brighter. The disease measles spreads in crowds. In Niger's capital, Niamey, the population grows in the dry season as farmers arrive, seeking work. Ms. Barty and her team found they could predict how measles would spread through Niamey by watching parts of the city light up on satellite pictures from the brightness of their lights and cooking fires. Rita Colwell works for the University of Maryland. Her group found it could predict cases of the deadly disease cholera in Bangladesh by using satellite information about conditions in the Bay of Bengal. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA, Learning English, this is the Education Report. Over the last two weeks, we presented a method for teaching debate to English learners. Developed by Professor Charles Lebeau and Michael Lubetsky, the method appears in their book, Discover Debate. The approach has three stages, creating a visual aid to communicate an argument, presenting the argument, and then answering the other team's argument. The visual aid shows the opinion as the roof of a building. The reasons are pillars, and the supporting evidence is the foundation of the building. The experience of debating can have long-lasting rewards outside of the classroom. Charles Lebeau tells VOA that there are four benefits to learning debate skills. First is the development of critical thinking skills. The second is widening one's perspective or outlook. Debate skills also improve persuasive thinking and communication. Finally, they help people to understand Western culture. Mr. Lebeau says he thinks debate is very important for English speaking. He says it is a good way of approaching and presenting opinions, as well as responding to opinions. In Japan, where Mr. Lebeau teaches, he says his students can learn to be better communicators and business people by learning debate techniques. If they can argue and answer opinions point by point, they can be more successful in an English-style meeting. He wants his students to learn that the basic parts of successful business communications are the same as those of debate. That means expressing opinions, reasons, and supports for those opinions. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Economics Report. The Senate recently passed a measure meant to ease passage of trade legislation. The bill will affect approval of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, which involves 12 nations around the Pacific Ocean. But a sharp disagreement over freshwater catfish has hurt the trade negotiations in the U.S. Senate. Farm-raised catfish is a local U.S. industry valued at less than $1 billion in yearly production. The Senate dispute arose when Republican lawmaker John McCain criticized a measure calling for increased U.S. government inspections of Asian catfish. He said the true purpose of the catfish program is to protect a small handful of catfish farmers in the South. McCain called the measure a protectionist program. Seven years ago, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was ordered to establish and administer a new catfish inspection plan. Ten Asian Pacific nations have sent letters warning that this issue is hurting TPP negotiations. At least one nation, Vietnam, has threatened trade retaliation. Senator Roger Wicker represents the state of Mississippi, one of America's biggest catfish producers. He says the real issue is not protectionism, but the health of American consumers. He says this is about food safety. Senator Wicker says Asian-produced seafood has been found to have higher levels of chemicals and other harmful substances. The strong debate is just one of the barriers to completing the 12-nation free trade agreement. Each country has its own interest to protect. For VOA Learning English, I'm Jonathan Evans. Italian President Giovanni Gronchi unveiled a 42-meter-high obelisk to honor the memory of inventor Giuliano Marconi. Sculptor Arturo Dazzi carved scenes from Marconi's remarkable life into a hunk of Carrara marble, and the distinguished crowd paid tribute to the Nobel Prize winner, one of the world's most influential scientists. Marconi was born in Bologna in 1874, the son of an Irish noblewoman and a wealthy Italian landowner. 
In the late 1800s, he became fascinated with Heinrich Hertz's discovery of electromagnetic radiation, or radio waves. He conducted his own experiments with the aim of developing a system that would use radio waves to transmit messages across vast distances. While the electric telegraph had been doing this for some time using telegraph wires, Marconi was determined to establish a wireless telegraph system. In 1897, he became the first person to send a wireless communication over water. It travelled 14 kilometres across the Bristol Channel, from South Wales to Flathome Island. Marconi spent £50,000 to set up the experiment that would provide the first wireless transmission across the Atlantic. Previously, scientists had believed that the curvature of the Earth would prevent the radio waves from reaching across such a vast distance. But Marconi disagreed. 